Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. More information about Lifehouse and our senior pastors, Richard and Helen Kabakian, can be found at lifehouse.com.au. We hope you enjoy the following message. Awesome, awesome. Well, if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to read uh, from the book of John. And if you don't have your Bibles or your phone or, or anything else like that there, it's going to be on the big Bible in the sky. Uh, John chapter 2, and we're going to go from verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. I tried that line once on my mother. As a, as a, as a pastor's kid, you grow up with the Bible as your handbook for life sometimes. And I remember my mum asked me to set the table one day and I just turned around to her. I figured it worked for Jesus. Why wouldn't it work for me? And I said, woman, what has that got to do with me? She just gave me a clip across the ears. But he said, my, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, 75 to 115 liters roughly. Uh, Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take some to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that they had turned that had been turned into wine. I also tried that as a teenager as well. Uh, I got my little bottles of water there, and I asked Jesus, "Please, at least turn it into West Coast cooler if we're not going to do the wine." But again, nothing happened. Uh, the master of the banquet did not realize where it had come from, although the servants who had drawn the water they knew. And then, the bride, then he pulled the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out their choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. I know this is probably a bit of a strange passage of scripture to read on Christmas Eve. There's no manger, there's no star, there's no wise men. There's none of that going on. Yet, as I was reading through this passage of scripture this week, God just really quickened something to my heart, which I thought would be uh, really appropriate for this season, for this day, for this time. You know, instead of little baby Jesus that we see at Christmas time, now we've got 30 year old Jesus hanging out with people that have had way too much to drink. And that's not exactly something that you're going to see depicted on a Christmas card this year. Uh, They go for the cute little baby Jesus in the manger. This is Jesus hanging out with people that have way, way, way too much to drink. Maybe something like some of your relative parties that you're going to be going to tonight and tomorrow. But it's not exactly something that, that you would see there depicted. But hidden in plain sight in this story, there's this amazing truth. And so before we get into it, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you as we celebrate this season. Jesus is the reason for this season. God, I just pray right now that as we come around your word, Lord, that you'll speak to us through this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let let me just back up just a little bit. Obviously, there's a wedding that's going on. And Jesus is there. His disciples are there. And the Bible says that Mary is there. And uh, John, as he's writing this story, it's a little bit different to the other versions that we've read in Matthew and in Luke. In those books, 
when they talk about Jesus' uh, arrival on this earth, they go through the whole thing, the manger, the star, the wise men, they, they list everything out. One of them even goes through all the genealogies and lists out how Jesus actually got to be here. Whereas when John starts writing out about the story, what he starts with back in John chapter one, he actually goes back to the very, very beginning. And he says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He takes us right back to the very, very beginning. And we know as Christians that he's referring to Jesus. And what he's saying is that Jesus was there not just at the beginning of the Christmas story, Jesus was there even before the existence of the world. That's where, that's where Jesus kind of came in. And as he goes through in John chapter one, in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as Jesus grew and as he started to, to, to live his life on this earth, he started to gather to himself uh, all these young men. And, and as he gathered these young guys, they weren't your traditional, typical bunch of guys or disciples that rabbis would generally gather around themselves. These guys, some of them were thieves, uh, some were fishermen, some were tax collectors, some were revolutionaries. That was their background. That was what they had been involved with, even at such a short time in their life. And he gathered all of these guys to himself and they followed Jesus because they believed there was something different about Jesus. Uh, in, in, Jewish, uh, in, in Israel at that time, they had been living under oppression for 400 years. Uh, their city, their, their, their nation had been overtaken by it seemingly like one nation after the other after the other and there was the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians and, and the Greeks and the Romans and, and here they are now under Roman rule 400 years later and during all of that time there had been this prophecy that the Messiah would come and he would set his people free from oppression and they believed Jesus to be this guy. And they had put all their hopes into Jesus, so they followed him wherever he went. And at the end of John chapter one, Jesus says to one of them, his name is Nathaniel, he turns around to Nathaniel and, and he makes a comment about something and Nathaniel's really surprised by that. And, and then Jesus turns to him and simply says, hey, you're surprised by that, but Nathaniel, greater things than that are you gonna see? And there's this anticipation and there's this expectation that they're hanging out with Jesus, the one who's going to come and change their world and, and set them free from oppression. And, and there's all of that going on and there's all this anticipation that's happening around about that time. But as we read here in John chapter 2 in verse 1, the very first place that Jesus takes his bunch of disciples to, the very first place that they go to, they're not going to, to the, some public rally somewhere so he can stand up and, and declare his candidacy for to be the next king of Israel. They're not doing that. They're not, they're not going on to some TV station to sit down and get interviewed by 60 minutes to, to start to incite and gather a crowd or do anything like that. He doesn't take his disciples to some hidden secret bunker somewhere so they can strategize and plan out what they're going to do as their next move as part of this great revolution that they're going to be doing. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he takes them to a wedding. And I wonder when I read this, because oftentimes when I read the Bible, I ask lots of questions. God, why did Jesus choose to go to a wedding as his very first point of call in his ministry? Why did he go to a wedding? Why this wedding? Why did he take them to this wedding? And what does that actually have to do with Christmas? 
it wasn't even like it was a celebrity wedding. There were no influential people there whatsoever. Mary was there. Jesus' mum was there. But we, there wasn't really anything special about this wedding. In fact, we don't even know whose wedding it was. The Bible doesn't record their names. It doesn't tell us there's no history book anywhere that says that Jesus went to Bob and Mary's wedding. Uh, there's nothing that says anything like that at all. And, uh, and so we're left wondering, who are these nameless couple that Jesus would go to their wedding as his first point of call? It wasn't like it would be a major event. We don't know whether they were family friends, whether they were neighbours, whether they were cousins. We don't know anything about anything other than that Jesus went to this wedding. Their names are missing from history. It's like they're insignificant as far as this story is concerned. And not only that, Jesus takes his 12 disciples to this wedding, but the wedding, the Bible says, was held in a place called Canaan of Galilee. If you talk to archaeologists and theologians, they can't even agree where Canaan of Galilee is located these days. They've narrowed it down to five possible locations of where this place actually was. It wasn't a major uh, town or bustling city in those days. Uh, it wasn't a major trade route or anything like that. In fact, it was, it was probably best described as one of those out-of-the-way places that you never really ever go to unless you had a reason to go there. It was one of those sort of places, and now it's basically disappeared from the history, uh, simply because no one knows where it is. So why would Jesus take his 12 disciples to a wedding of a nameless couple in an insignificant place? Why would he do that? And what does it have to do with Christmas? These are the things that we're going to look at. And to make it worse, it wasn't even a very well-planned-out wedding. They ran out of wine. This was like one of those things that you don't do at a wedding. We just had Tori's engagement, Tori and Anthony's engagement party this a couple months ago. And I tell you what, we kept running out of wine. And we had to keep going down to the thing. And Adele was down there buying more uh, alcohol. And I don't know which of you were there, but you, man, you were drinking a lot that night. And, uh, and we were, but it's, it's one of those, even in Jesus' day, it was one of those socially unacceptable things that if you had guests come to your wedding, you don't run out of wine. It would be something that people would talk about long after the wedding was over. They would talk about the fact that there was no wine at that wedding. And they would be, you could imagine like dads and mums sitting down with their children when they're working out their weddings and everything else like that. They're saying, now we're not going to make sure we're going to do this and we're going to do this. We're not going to be like so-and-so's family down the road that ran out of wine at their wedding. That's what it would have been like for this couple. They ran out of wine. It was one of those things. It wasn't a very well planned out or very well thought out wedding. But this story is more than just about a wedding that runs out of wine. There's a lot of symbolism in this story. Like wine, for example. When the Bible talks about wine, it refers to joy. I don't know about you, have you ever been in a place in your life where joy has run out? Have you ever been somewhere in your life, a time in your life, where joy has disappeared? This is what the story is talking to us about. How do we actually move forward? How do we actually survive? How do we actually get through when we're in a time in our life where it's seemingly there is no joy that's there, even though we're surrounded by people that seem to be laughing and having fun, but the joy has run out. We can walk through life like that. And sometimes it happens very suddenly. Well, I remember there's been some times in our life, there's only been a few of these times, but it was about maybe 13 years ago, uh, Kath and I, we were youth pastors uh, down in Geelong and uh, everything was going so well. 
and the youth ministry was growing. We were getting hundreds of kids coming along on a Friday night. Church on Sunday was moving forward. People were getting saved. It was such an amazing, an amazing time. The church, which had been in decline before, now all of a sudden started to fill up and we were looking at multiple services and everything else was going on. I remember we held a, a, uh, uh, like a, a special Sunday night service and there were over a thousand young people turned up just to be able to come and worship and honour Jesus. God was doing such amazing things and we were looking around going, we don't understand why it's all happening, but it was happening and it was a great time and, and, and we were just cruising, in, cruising along. And I remember one Sunday after church, we were just at home and, and I get a phone call and it's from my stepfather ringing to tell me that my mum had just passed away. And it wasn't expected. It was the first person in my world, in my life really, that had been close to me to die and I hadn't been prepared for that. And it was like it knocks the wind out of your sails. And all the joy and everything else, all the, all the anticipation and the expectation and, and everything else that I was having to look forward to, all of a sudden felt like it just came to a grinding halt. It was only five years ago that, that Kath and I were in another situation where we uh, were, had to make some decisions about our life and where we wanted to head and what we wanted to do. And we felt we'd put some things in place and we were just about to enter a brand new season in our life. And we were very excited about that. And, and we were looking forward to all that God had ahead for us. And, and we were so excited, anticipating what was ahead there for us. And, and the very next day, after sitting down with Pastor Richard and Helen and talking through some things and, and everything else, the very next day, I get a diagnosis from the doctor that I had cancer. And again, it's one of those situations that you're not prepared for. It, it, it takes the wind out of your sails. And, and I remember the hardest thing for me to do was to come to church that very next Sunday and to be able to sit there in the front row. Everyone had these goofy smiles on their face. Everyone seemed happy and everything else. And, and the worship leader, I don't remember who it was at the time. Maybe it was Rachel Beatty, I don't know. But she was up there trying to encourage us all to dance and clap and sing. But all I wanted to do was run home, curl up in a ball and cry. That's all I wanted to do. But everybody around me seemed so happy. Everybody around me seemed so happy, but my joy was gone. And it didn't help that that Sunday, Pastor Richard was preaching a series called One Month to Live. Uh, so <laughs> didn't help at all. All I wanted to do was just run home and, and just cry and, and uh, not be around anybody or not be with anybody. But that's when it happens suddenly. I'm sure if I went around the room, we've all had times in our life where joy has just seemed like it's just disappeared, just like that. Uh, but in this story, thanks man. But in this story, it just, the wine just didn't disappear suddenly. It wasn't like the servants were dishing out the wine and all of a sudden there was no wine. The servants, as they were passing the wine out, would have noticed the levels getting lower and lower and lower and lower, yet nobody did anything about it. Eventually, it got to the point where there was no wine left. You know, I find that it's like that for our own lives. We know we're giving out so much all the time to the people in our world and to everything else that happens and there's people making demands on our life and we're giving out all the time and we're giving out and we're giving out and we're giving out and the levels are getting lower and lower and lower and lower. But oftentimes what we do is we just put this smile on our face and we kind of shrug it all off and we move forward thinking, no, it's okay, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Oh, it's okay, we'll just keep moving forward, we'll soldier on, we'll just keep doing what we need to keep doing and we come to church on Sunday 
Sunday and we know how to clap our hands. We know the right time to say amen. We know when to stand up. We know what to do. We know how to answer people, how to talk to people. We know all the right things to say and all the right things to do. And we just go through the motions of life and people come up to us and say, hey, how are you going? Yeah, I'm good. No worries. Okay, awesome. Great. And we walk off into our life. But inside we know, we feel it. We feel that the levels of the wine is getting lower and lower and lower. And this season, more than anything else, this is meant to be the, uh, we even sang about it before, that this is the time of joy. And people start singing songs like joy to the world and, and everything like that. But this is the season where people walk around and they might have a smile on their face on the outside, but on the inside, the reserves are a little empty. The reserves are just a little bit empty. The Bible says this, is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. But if the joy starts to disappear, what that means is that our strength also gets weaker and weaker. And what happens is that we open ourselves up to things like disappointments. We open ourselves up to temptations. We open ourselves up to all those things, whereas before we would have been strong and not a problem at all, but our joy levels have been so low that we become more susceptible to things like that. No joy equals no strength. Yeah. Some of the things that, you know, if we're talking to, if I'm talking to some of my friends that, who aren't Christians, they don't really use the word joy. It's not really a, a word in their vocabulary. They, they exchange it for a different word. They use the word happiness. And they're in search of happiness. They wouldn't say, I'm in search of joy. They'd say, I'm actually looking for happiness. Then they may not even use that phrase, but you can tell by what they spend their money on. You can tell by the sort of things they get involved with. They're searching for something. They're searching for something to bring actual meaning or actually bring fulfillment to their lives and they equate it to happy. And they're trying to find this happiness and they'll go and buy stuff and, and it will bring that momentary happiness. You know, like when you open your new uh, MacBook computer box and that smell and the, the, the peeling that plastic off for the first time and all those things. That's so when they get that brand new phone that no one has ever used, there's no viruses on it, there's nothing on there at all and you open it for the very first time, it brings momentary happiness. You know, when you're tomorrow, tonight, whenever it is that you open your presence, there's gonna be lots of happiness that's going on at that point in time. And uh, I can imagine in a week's time, some of those happy faces, now those toys are broken down there, sitting outside, left in the rain or somewhere else. You know, all those things that brought so much joy to their faces in that moment have now fleeted and disappeared. Momentary happiness, sometimes we look for it in work. Yeah, we try and get that sale and get it across the line and we try and, you know, try and build that business and, and we try and do all those things and it gives us momentary happiness because we feel successful for those moments. And, and sometimes it can be just in those achievements that we do and everything else that's there and we look for that momentary happiness, but eventually it all just catches up to us and we realise that, hey, the, the, the reserves are pretty low. The reserves are pretty low. Happiness isn't really our goal, it's, it's joy. And joy only comes from one place, and that's Jesus. And the only way that we can know real joy is to know Jesus. If you find yourself, I just want to encourage you just with this one thing. It's just so simple. If you find yourself in a room, and you find yourself that the reserves are getting low, just like at that wedding, all you need to do is just look around the room. And you look over to the dance floor, right next to the wedding cake, and standing right there is Jesus. He was standing there because he was at the wedding. And when you look around the room, he's there. 
Jesus is there. And as we start to put our eyes onto him, he starts to say things like this in Matthew 11:28. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. See, he is the Prince of Peace. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our provider. He's the restorer of our souls. He's the one who causes all things to work together for good. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our very present help in times of trouble. He's the one who forgives our sins, who heals our bodies, who directs our paths. He can cause rivers of living water to flow from our very innermost being. He's the one who can give us joy in the midst of trials. This is Jesus. He's the one who was at the wedding. Who else would you want at the wedding other than Jesus? But it still doesn't answer the why question. Why was Jesus at the wedding? And what does that have to do with Christmas? Why was Jesus even there in the first place? What was so important about this wedding that Jesus took time out of his schedule to go to this wedding? Do you want to know the answer? I already know what the answer is. Do you want to know what the answer is? Yeah. John chapter 2, verse 2. It's so simple. It says this, And Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. Jesus was at the wedding simply because he was invited to be there. It's amazing where God turns up when he's invited. It's amazing where God turns up when you invite him in. It's amazing when God does that. You can be in the middle of the worst situation ever. All you need to do is just invite Jesus into that situation. And right there and then you've got the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace right there with you in that situation. It's amazing where Jesus turns up if he's invited to be there. And the question that we've got is simply this, in all our busyness in this season, wrapping presents, going to the shop, not once, twice, three times, five times to try and get that gift. And then you get home and realize you've forgotten another gift and you have to go back there again and look at tissue boxes and get those things. And some of you don't know what that is. That's okay, that's good. Um, but you get there and all these things, all the pressures going on, you're cooking meals, you've got family about to descend on your house and in all the busyness and all the rush of this season, have we taken a moment just to invite Jesus in? After all, we said that this series is called Jesus, the star of the story. Wouldn't it make sense then if He is the star of the story to make sure that the star of the story is invited in to your celebration, to invite it into those things that you are involved with and you're doing because you're going to have to go and be with some family that maybe there's some tension that's there. Right then and there, you're going to need the joy of the Lord flowing through your life. You're going to need peace flowing through your life so that you can stand there and not react to every word that gets spoken, but you can minister peace and God's love into that situation with your family who don't know Jesus yet. But the only way that we can do that is if He's there with us. It's amazing where He turns up. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil if we invite Jesus to be there with us. You know, we talk a lot about how God is in this place and God is in this place. And when we gather together on a Sunday, the worship is amazing and we love to be able to praise Jesus and the, and the, the fellowship and the, and the conversations are God honouring and encouraging and it's all great. But you know what? God can turn up in your car on your way to church. 
You don't have to have all of this set up so that when you, uh, so that you can know oh, Jesus is here with me now because I'm at church. But while you're washing the dishes at home, Jesus can be there if you invite Him. While you're sitting at your computer at work, Jesus can be there if you invite Him. While you're driving to quote to your next job, Jesus can be in the car there with you if you invite Him to come in. And He's there going, come on, invite me, invite me. I want to be a part of your world. He is the star of the story. Jesus will go wherever He's invited to go. I just think that's so encouraging. And it doesn't take a degree in theology. It doesn't take anything special simply to say, Jesus, I need you in my world. Jesus, I can't get through this without you. Jesus, this trouble that I'm facing right now, God, I'm under a lot of pressure right now, but God, I need you in my world. And when you take that moment and you just simply open your mouth and say, Jesus, I need you right now. He comes in His presence and starts to fill your life. And those empty vats that used to be there get started to be filled with brand new wine. And God then starts to be able to give you stuff that you can be able to pour out then to other people. Because instead of being an empty vessel now, now that you're something that's full and useful for His work, my time's nearly up, but I just, wanna, I just wanna show you one more thing from this story. John begins the story with these words. It simply says this, is that on the third day, on the third day, this is how he starts this story, on the third day. He's alluding to something here. He just doesn't pick these words out at random. On the third day, it was on the third day that Jonah was spat out of the belly of the whale and God raised him up. It was on the third day that our Lord Jesus Christ was raised from a tomb and, and He defeated death, hell and the grave so that we can have a victorious life to be able to do all the things that He's asked us to do. That's what Jesus did on the third day. There's something significant about the third day that John wants us to all know. Even when we're walking through a situation where we feel like life is over, even though we're walking through a situation where we feel dry and maybe even dead a little bit on the inside, Jesus, uh, this, this, this story is reminding us that, that on that third day, Jesus can come and He can cause His resurrecting power to flow through our lives so that we're not empty vessels anymore, but we're full of brand new, sparkling, epivescent wine that can be used for His glory and for His honour. This is a story about new beginnings. This is a story about fresh starts. This is a story about letting go of all those things that were old and putting them aside and stepping forward into all those things that are good and that God has there for us. This is a story of hope. This is a story of deliverance, of freedom, of salvation. That's what this story is all about. It's not just about a wedding with no wine. It's a story about my life, your life that was once empty is now full because of Jesus. That's what this story is about. And He just doesn't fill you up with rubbish. He doesn't fill you up with just anything. The Bible says that they took water and they filled it up. And then Jesus said, take that, take it to the master of the ceremony. And as He tasted that, He was shocked and amazed. He said, wow, they've actually saved the best for last. This just wasn't cheap stuff off the shelf. This was the best and He saved the best for us. You know what I really believe for some of our lives right now? 
It might have been a terrible 2017. It may have been a very stretching time in 2017. It may have been a time where you feel like you gave and you gave and you gave and you haven't seen a lot of return to your giving. It may have been one of those times in 2017. But be encouraged because the best is yet to come. The best is still there ahead of you. God has not given up on you. God is there with you every single step of the way. The best is still there, still to come. Brand new life, brand new joy. God can take your tiredness and He can take your sadness. He can take every part of your life, your weakness, and He can turn it into joy. The Bible says that He takes our sadness and He turns it into dancing. Wow, how amazing is that? He takes all of those things. His promise is that we would have life and we would have it in abundance. But all we have to do is invite Him in. That's all we have to do. Hi, I'm Richard Gabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now and if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.